0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, we are uh, we're finishing our series this morning called "On Mission Together." We've been talking over the last. Uh What, it's been six weeks now? We've sort of been working through our mission statement. And uh, just for the sake of having it in our mind again, uh, some of you probably have the bookmarks we made. If you don't have one of those, I'd suggest you grab one. It's kind of nice just to tuck it in your Bible or throw it in the, you know, whatever, the John Grissom book you're reading, and that way you sort of remember. Uh, Not that, uh, that's not an endorsement for John, but whatever, I mean, you know, whatever. So it's fine. Uh, Grab one of those. But I'd love to just read this this morning. I just said John like I know John Grissom. I don't. Uh, I don't even know if that's how his last name's pronounced. We could get stuck in this loop for a long time. Let's read the mission statement and we'll get back on track. It says this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Evie Free Fullerton is a loving community, united in sacrifice, and living like Christ for the glory of God. Each week we've kind of been working through a different component of that, and this morning we're talking about the glory of God. And in fact, it's interesting, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, kind of a famous text there. Uh, it, it's sort of an encapsulation of our mission. In fact, that would be a decent key verse that sort of wraps up the whole of the mission statement. And the way I want to, ta- I only have a short period of time this morning because we've got a lot of other components in our worship this morning. Uh, but as we study God's Word together, I kind of want to start in verse 11 and work my way back because I like the way he finishes this thought. Uh, Peter says here at the end of verse 11, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. He talks about our call to glorify God, but there's a difference between glorifying God and God's glory, and that distinction is important. It's important for us to understand that while you and I are called to glorify God with our lives, that glory, the glory of God, is his, right? Right? So when we talk about glorifying him, it's not that there's a decision about whether or not he will be glorious or not. He is glorious, right? All glory and dominion belong to him forever and ever, amen. There's a statement of fact there, a theological fact, that God is glorious, right? Glory, when we talk about it, glory is the the perceivable reality of God's holiness. Let me say that again. What you can perceive of his holiness. When we talk about holiness, holiness is God's set-apartness. It's his otherness, right? That when we talk about his righteousness, he is more righteous than anyone ever. When we talk about his love, he is more loving than anyone ever. When we talk about his creative ability, he is more creative than anyone ever. And certainly more loving and righteous and holy and peaceful and gracious and kind and generous and just than any of his creation, right? God is glorious, he's holy, and what we can perceive of his otherness or his greatness is his glory, that's his glory, the perceivable reality of his holiness, and we see it, we see it on, on display in our lives, we see it in our world, right? The, the scriptures say that the earth just declares the glory of God, the stars and the sky and the sun, all of these things are constantly declaring the glory of God. Isaiah says that he is holy, the whole earth is Full of his glory, right? So we start here in verse 11, we'll work our way back with the idea that God isn't going to become glorious when we start to worship him. He is glorious already, but he's invited us to glorify him. We're invited as created beings to glorify him, to bring him glory in the way we live. Uh, It's it's funny, when we think about worship, sometimes we we sort of get kind of a a funky view. I remember I was attending a church for a little while that had a, um, I used to sit like in the front and they had like a a camera on a little motor that would sit right down in the front, and it would take crowd shots, right? It would take view, like they'd film the the pastor preaching, and then they would intersperse the video with shots of the crowd, you know, looking thoughtful, or like if the pastor told a joke, they'd get a shot of everybody laughing. We don't have a camera like that here, because you guys don't laugh at my jokes. Uh, But it, well, now I wish we'd had a camera. but anyway, it was like a crowd-facing camera, and I'd be sitting in the front row, and the, the band would be leading us in worship through music, and I'd be worshiping, and I, I tend to worship in this posture. This tends to be my worship posture, right? Hands in the pockets, mind and heart focused on God. Sometimes my posture changes, but mostly that's it. And then all of a sudden, I would hear this noise. I'd hear the sound of that motor on that little camera. Uh, and I'd look up, I'd just kind of glance at it, and it would be focused right at me. This, I mean, it's like, I'm literally in the... And then all of a sudden, there was this pressure, right? Like, pressure to not just have my hands in my pockets, you know, like, all of a sudden, I gotta, I gotta look like a worshiper now, you know? So what is that? Like, maybe, maybe that's a little hands-in-the-air action, you know, like, if I could get a tear to come out, that would be awesome, you know? Just one little tear, and people would see it on the feed, and they would think, man, this guy's really worshipful. But I, I, all of a sudden, then, what happens? You realize... Well, why are you doing that, right? Why are you putting on that sort of outward appearance? Why are you putting on that outward affectation? You're putting it on not for the glory of God or because it's uh, uniquely and spontaneously generated in you, but rather because you're trying to glorify the opinions of other people, right? You're trying to honor what other people perceive as opposed to honoring God, who doesn't care so much about whether our hands are in our pockets or in the air, but he cares more about the posture of our heart. That's why Jesus looks at the woman at the well, right, in John four, and she says, well, should we worship in Samaria, or should we worship in Jerusalem? There's kind of a hot, hotly argued debate on that, and Jesus goes, forget it. it. Doesn't matter if you're in Samaria or you're in Jerusalem. I don't really care where your feet are planted. What God wants is your heart. He's looking for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's about what's happening in here. And when the internal is positioned rightly, the external will change. Sometimes your hands will be driven to the air. Sometimes the tears will flow. Sometimes you'll be driven to your knees. But when we think about worship, we're not just talking about that sort of external thing that other people perceive. We're talking about every area of our life. And that's one of the things I love about 1 Peter uh, 4, 7 through 11. It says all glory and dominion belongs to him. But back up just a little bit before that in verse Verse 11. It says whoever speaks should speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There is a purpose here of us speaking a certain way and living a certain way. That we would speak the words of God, that we would act in the strength of God in all of our actions in order that, right? See the in order that there in the ESV? There's a purpose to our acting and speaking a particular way and the purpose is that God would be glorified. He is glorious, but that in our speech and in our actions and in our thoughts and even in our attitudes, we have the ability to bring God glory, to glorify him in everything we do. That's why the mission statement certainly talks about living like Christ, it talks about being united in sacrifice, it talks about being a loving community, But the goal of those things is not just that we'd be able to go, there we are, we're united in sacrifice, good for us. There we are, we're a loving community, way to go team. No, all of those things serve a purpose, which is the perceivable reality of God's holiness that we would put on display the otherness of God, the holiness and righteousness and goodness and grace and mercy and peace of God. That it goes on display in the words we say so that every word we say becomes the words of God. We're speaking the words of God. That when we act, we're acting in the strength of God so that he would be glorified in everything. Notice that in everything, that's also important. That God would be glorified in everything. I think sometimes we think, well, there is the potential to glorify God in this room, right? And there's the potential to glorify God when you're on a missions trip, or there's the potential to glorify God when you're sitting at the water cooler at work and somebody asks you a question about Jesus and you're able to talk about him. Listen, it doesn't just say in sort of the recognized religious activities that there's the potential glory for God. It says when you speak and when you act that all of that has the potential to glorify God, that in everything God will be glorified. I don't know if you believe this or not, but I actually have the ability to glorify God with an Xbox controller, I really can't. I could can prove it. I, I thought about bringing in some clips this morning, but I'm not going to do it. But my wife and I have been playing this, um, we play this pirate game on the Xbox called Sea of Thieves, and uh, we, man a, uh, we man a two-man brigantine. I won't go into great detail with you. Uh, my pirate name is Surly Umbrageous. It's a pretty good pirate name. No? It doesn't matter. But on that game, it's a massive multiplayer online role-playing game, and there's people from all over the world that are playing at the same time as us. Now, many times, they're trying to sink our ship and take our stuff, Uh, but occasionally, my wife and I have the opportunity to strike up conversations with people that live on other sides of the world, people who live in other sides of the country, and in those conversations, not just when we talk about Jesus if we have the chance on a pirate ship, But in those conversations when we declare peace, and love and joy. When they see our harmony as a married couple and they go, man, we don't know very many married people that play pirate games, right? And we go, yeah, we actually really like spending time together playing video games, whatever. You get get into a conversation. You know what, pretty soon what I'm having the opportunity to do with my Xbox controller? Put on display the perceivable otherness, the holiness of God. Why would I live the way I do? Why do I play games the way I do? Why do I interact with my wife the way I do? Everything in our life has the potential to glorify God. It has to do with intention. It has to do with the posture of your heart. So here, if we back it up even more, look at what it says in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Good stewards of God's varied grace. I like that phrase. The reality is that all of us have received different gifts, right? We're all different. Some of us are very intellectual, and some some of us are good at Xbox, right? Two sides of the coin, right? Some of you are great communicators and some of you are introverted. Some of you like to build things with your hands and some of you, you know, I mean, we've all got different gifts. That's a demonstration of the varied grace of God that he equips us and he empowers us and enables us differently. The first thing on our mission statement is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Part of the way he empowers us is with his gifts. And so it says as each has been given a gift, there is no... Question about that, by the way. It doesn't say, for those of you who've been fortunate enough to receive gifts, it says, as each has received a gift, that's all of us, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the very grace of God. It becomes about intentionality, about us looking at our lives and going, who's God created me to be? What are my passions? What are my gifts? What are the things that really get me going? And how can I utilize the thing that God has wired me for to turn people's attention back to him? John the Baptist, right, in John 3 says, look, I'm not the bridegroom, I'm the one who stands at the side. My joy is complete when other people see Jesus. I don't care if I'm the one who's getting to dunk them in the water or if somebody else is doing it, I just want people to know Jesus. That my life, in every thought and word and deed and attitude, whatever gift the Holy Spirit has empowered me for, that I can take that and turn it and use it to serve one another as a steward of the various grace of God on display. You know, when you go into a museum, you see a, a Monet or a Picasso on the wall, and you stand there and you just think about what the artist had in mind when he painted that. Just think about what the artist had in mind when she crafted that sculpture or whatever. You look at it, but very seldom do you go into a museum and find yourself thinking, you know, I'd really like to meet the guy who hung this painting on the wall. You know, it's very level. You know, he did a really good job. It's proportional on the wall here. Very seldom do you go into a museum and think, man, I'd really love to meet the person who adjusted the lighting in here to shine on that Monet in such a way that it really shows off the brush strokes. I mean, maybe you get distracted by that occasionally, but most of the time you're thinking, as you look at the painting, you're thinking about the artist and what he intended. You're not thinking about all the other pieces that went in to making that on display for you, right? Right? You're certainly not glorifying the picture hanger. You're certainly not glorifying or worshiping the one who set the lighting or who swept the floors. And yet all those things happened in order that you would be undistracted in looking at what the artist has done. That's what it means to be a good steward of the various graces of God. That we are meant to do everything in our power with every gift that God has given us to remove any distraction and allow people's attention to focus on God's artwork, on who God is, his holiness and his righteousness. By the way, speaking of artwork, I know many of you have lost sleepless nights wondering about this artwork on the screen behind me, right? What does this mean? What does it all mean? I know you're all kind of, well, here's the good news for you. I, uh, well, I have good news and bad news. I had our staff artist, Blake, who designed this artwork. I had him write up kind of a quick description of uh, what this is all about. And, uh, and I, I Printed that out this morning, and I brought it. But somewhere between my car and the worship service, I lost it. So I don't know where that went. Uh, You're welcome to hunt for it on the sidewalk outside. But I'll tell you, essentially, you know, looking at these symbols, there are five of them that represent each of the tenets of the mission statement. Uh, Empowered by the Holy Spirit, E.V. Free Fullerton is a loving community, united in sacrifice, living like Christ for the glory of God. But the way Blake designed it is not to be literally interpreted. It's meant to be... Pondered. It's meant to be sort of approached and thought about. I have some, some opinions about what these symbols mean and how they reflect those different components, but my perception of it might be different than yours. That's exactly what the artist intended. He intended for there to be conversation and reflection, some consideration about what these mean and what they stand for, and that there would be conversation in our community about that. That's exactly what's happened, right? Many of you have spent many long hours speculating about the communist symbols on the screen and whatever. Blake was trying to get us to think and to feel with regard to art. We have been called to be good stewards of the the various grace of God in our speech and in our actions, that when we speak, we would speak the words of God. When we act, we would serve with God's power so that in all things God would be glorified because all glory belongs to him. And he gives us here in 1 Peter three quick examples. We don't have to spend a ton of time there, but I want you to think about this. He says in verses 7 through 9, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Three quick examples. They're not exhaustive, but they're they're helpful, right? He gives us three main categories. The first one he says is, because you know the time is near, be sober-minded or clear-headed for the sake of your prayers. What's he saying? He's saying we have to think rightly about who we are, about the the window of opportunity for people to put their faith in Christ. We have to think about the time period in which we live and then we have to be on our knees in prayer thinking about the role that God has called us to in this time period. Where does Peter get this idea? Well, he gets it from Jesus, of course, right? You can look at Matthew, if you wanted, you could look at Matthew 26, 45. This is where Jesus is praying before he goes to be crucified. Remember, he invites some of the disciples to come and pray with him, and they keep falling asleep. In Matthew 26, 45, Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, "'Sleep and take your rest later on. "'See, the hour is at hand, "'and the Son of Man is betrayed "'into the hands of sinners. "'Rise, let us be going. "'See, my betrayer is at hand.'" Jesus himself had said, hey, we have to pay attention to the time. The time of the fulfillment of the mission I came here to accomplish, to die on the cross and rise from the dead is upon us. We don't have time to sleep. We don't have time to rest. We have to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. So years later, when Peter is thinking about how to encourage us to use our thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes for the glory of God, he says, you know the time, You know the mission we've been put on. You know the clock is ticking, this window of opportunity for people to believe. That should cause in you a certain kind of a head, a certain kind of a mind, sober-minded. He calls us to think about what's happening in our head. He also calls us not only to think about our head, he calls us to think about our heart. Look at what he says in verse 8. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8. In verse 8 it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Not only do you need to think soberly, but you need to love each other. You gotta have the right kind of heart because love covers, he says, a multitude of sins, right? Love sincerely, love earnestly. It's not saying that our love for each other forgives sins or that it, it, excuse me, justifies people before God. We know that only Jesus does that. But the reality is that in our interactions, we're interacting all day, every day with broken people, aren't we? And the longer you spend with other people, the more you see their brokenness on display. The more you spend time with your fellow man, the more they will prove to you that they're broken. So you know what you need? You need love. Love and forgiveness and grace. I remember actually, it's a Peter again. In Matthew uh, chapter, let's see, where'd it go? Matthew chapter 18, Peter looks at Jesus and he goes, hey, how often do I have to forgive people who've wronged me, right? I have to do that seven times? How many times do I gotta forgive somebody that's wronged me? And Jesus goes, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. He goes on to tell the story of the unforgiving servant, the unmerciful servant. He says, no, your forgiveness should be limitless. You never stop forgiving. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And listen, interacting with each other, there's gonna be a multitude of sins until we are perfected. So Peter says to glorify God, get your head in the right place, get your heart in the right place, and last, he says show hospitality. This is verse nine. Show hospitality without grumbling. Head, heart, hands, right? It's both the way I think, sober-mindedly about the time, my prayers. It's about how I love others earnestly and unceasingly, and it's about how I serve. United in sacrifice, loving community, living like Christ, empowered by the Spirit for the glory of God. Head, heart, hands, serve one another, Without complaining and without grumbling, Jesus in John 21 looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you know I love you. And he says, what? Feed my sheep. He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. What? Your love is great, but it should be a catalyst for action. So Peter looks at us in 1 Peter 4 and he says, look, the glory belongs to God. We have the opportunity to glorify him in our words and in our actions. When we serve with God's strength, when we speak the words of God, and that happens when our head and our heart and our hands are in the right place. We have a saying at Hume Lake where we say uh, be the moon. Think about that for a second, be the moon. The moon, by the way, has no heat or light. The moon's just a rock orbiting in space. But when you look at it, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know why it's beautiful? You know why you can see the moon at all? Because of the sun, because the sun is light and heat. All the moon does is reflect that to other people. And so we've looked at people at Hume Lake in the course of discipleship and said our role as human beings is simply to be the moon. We don't generate light, we don't generate heat, we don't generate any of these things. We are simply a conduit for the love and the grace, the light, the mercy, the glory, the love of God that it would pour into us and then out of us into the lives of other people that when they look at us, they would see the light of Jesus reflected on the rock that is our lives. Does that make sense? Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would stir in us a passion for your glory, that we would recognize that all glory and dominion belong to you, and you've given us the privilege in our thoughts and our actions, in our head and heart and hands, to glorify you, to make your holiness perceivable to the world, that they would see our good deeds and glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.